welcome to Nerds at Church, a podcast about nerdery and the Bible. I'm Pastor Emily, and I use pronouns like they, them, theirs. And I'm Pastor Kay, and my pronouns are she, her. In this episode, we'll discuss the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost, also known as Proper 28 or Lectionary 33, which this year falls on November 13th. Check out the episode description for links to the Bible passages and other references we make in this episode. And for our deep dive today, we're going to be talking about social safety nets and especially governmental supports for people in trouble, also what is sometimes known in the U.S. colloquially as welfare, which is actually not just one government program, but many, many government programs, both at the state and federal level, that are mostly cobbled together with bailing wire and duct tape. <laughs> yes, and a lot of them are also called entitlements or entitlement programs. Yes. And we talked about this briefly in our taxes episode. In case you missed that, it was just a couple weeks ago, and we'll link and you can check that out as well. But a lot of these are paid, all of these are paid for by taxes. And a lot of them actually began with Franklin Delano Roosevelt in the 30s during the Great Depression when he rightly realized that the best way to help boost people out of economic poverty and destitution was to spend money on them and even to give them money. Yes. And, you know, for a rich guy, he seemed to understand something about that. And I Mm -hmm. don't know that it directly had anything to do with him spending a lot of his life in a wheelchair, but I have to note that that might have been a contributing factor. Absolutely. And, of course, speaking of rich guys, a lot of those programs were then drastically cut under Ronald Reagan as president. And, of course, there were additions and cuts at other times. Goodness knows there have been plenty since Reagan as well. And Mm -hmm. it's an ongoing thing. Yes. Part of what happened during the Reagan administration was a realization that, in fact, these programs were helping lift people out of poverty and were helping people get education that they needed and those sorts of things. And that's not actually advantageous. Well, that's not advantageous to rich people. Right. It's not advantageous to rich people like Reagan because then people realize that they are worth more and that they can fight back and push back against oppression. Yeah. And so the Reagan administration took a lot of drastic measures. Yeah. If you're looking for educated citizens versus, say, you know, minions, then having a lot of social programs is helpful. But if you're looking for minions, you're going to cut them. Mm Mm-hmm. And you're going to demonize the people who use them. Yes. Which is where we get the term. Welfare queen. Thank you, Reagan. That was sarcastic in case you couldn't tell. Yes. Yes. That's where terms like welfare queen, talking about baby mamas, baby daddies, like that whole framing of things is a tool of like traces back to the Reagan administration, but has taken many forms since then. But it's racializing and demonizing of using the social supports and the safety nets that the government created in a way that we don't for corporations with corporate welfare. Getting bailed out when you're a bank and should be able to, you know, pay your employees anyway. Right. Bailing out banks, providing subsidies for different economic sectors from quote unquote energy, by which we mean gas and fuel, which get a ton of subsidies that renewables don't get. Also, agriculture gets a lot of subsidies. That's actually mostly the only way that most farmer farmers actually stay in business is through subsidies because the crops don't actually make enough money to be sustainable. Yeah, and farming is very different across the country, of course. The The real concept of having these safety nets is that, as many people have put it over the years, we all do better when we all do better. And it turns out that having a society where the lowest you can fall, as it were, is not actually that low, is a much better society to grow up in and to build a civilization in and to raise a family and be a citizen of in than one that allows people to literally starve to death while billionaires exist. Mm -hmm. Truth. So there are a lot of different categories within which government and social safety nets exist. One of the kind of most common that people think of is food, right? There are a lot of ways that the government subsidizes food on a like recipient level. So 
we talked about agriculture, but we're talking about like the individual people using these things for this. One of the main things is something called food stamps. We don't really call it food stamps anymore. And that's not the official term because again, there's been a demonization of people who use food stamps. And the reality is that they are a huge support to families who aren't making ends meet and need to eat. And by family, we're using that term very broadly, right? It's a household thing. And it turns out that providing support to those families actually provides support to the economy too. Because if they have money to buy food, then they buy food. And lo and behold, buying food supports the economy. Mm -hmm. Not all of this is rocket science. Yeah. There's actually studies like trickle-down economics we all know is a crock. Except the crocs are actually very comfortable shoes, if you like that sort of thing. It's true, they are. It's a farce. But the way to spend government funds that has the greatest positive economic impact is literally to give poor people money. Yes. They will spend it immediately, and they will spend it locally, and that will support all of the things. So, for example, as we said, food stamps. The other words that are frequently connected to food stamps are EBT is electronic bank transfer, which is just the system of how the money gets to the people who use them. And then SNAP, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, is what has been known as food stamps. But that is the thing that actually buys the food in the grocery store. There's a like debit card type of thing. Yes. You get your EBT card to spend your supplemental nutrition benefits with. Yes. And you you can use those when you're doing online grocery orders too. So it's really helpful that way, especially for people who can't make it into the grocery store and need to do either pickup or delivery. But yeah. Yeah. Snap, and it's restricted on what you can spend it on somewhat. So you can't buy heated food, which is frequently actually what you need because you need something ready-made so that you, because you're working multiple jobs and trying to make ends meet. Yeah. So it's it's restricted, but not super restricted. Right. Whereas you may have also heard of the WIC program, which is Women, Infants, and Children program, which specifically supplies nutrition assistance for families with small children and people who are pregnant. And it is specifically aimed at making sure that those people receive a good balanced diet. So the stuff that qualifies for WIC tends to be a little bit more restricted because my understanding is that you can't really buy junk food with it. You can buy things like milk and Mm -hmm. vegetables and bread and stuff like that. Yeah. When I was in Minnesota, I was helping somebody with that. And they have like pictures of like, you get this many gallons of milk, you get this much beans. If you do canned beans, you get this. If you get dry beans, you get that. So there's some choice of what you qualify for, but it's very specific. And after you give birth, if you say that you're using formula, they give you less. Right. If you say that you're exclusively breastfeeding, they will give you more stuff. So yeah. And given the fact that breastfeeding is, you know, not magic and not necessarily easy for everyone, Mm -hmm. that turns out to be uneven in general. And then, of course, many people are familiar with the public school free or reduced lunch program. Generally, signing up for Mm -hmm. that involves almost as much paperwork as signing up for some of these other programs. Specifically, historically speaking, these programs have caused some amount of trouble in two ways. One, generally speaking, you were turning the paperwork into the school and the school did not always have perfect systems for for maintaining confidentiality. Uh, And so that caused a number Mm. of problems. Uh, Although I believe now that most of this stuff is electronic and you can submit it all online, it's a little easier uh, in that, you know, Mm -hmm. you're not going to have somebody shuffling papers on a desk all day. Mm. And also the issue with public school free and reduced lunch has been the way that the students obtain their lunch when it when it is lunchtime. Very often they would be given a different colored lunch card than their classmates. Mm. When really there's no need to do that, like they qualify for lunch. They are supposed to be given a lunch. Why do you have to give them a different colored card that says that they get free or reduced lunch? There's no real point to that. Like the lunch lady mm-hmm. doesn't need to know any of that. Yeah. And there one of the changes, so during the pandemic, everybody just got free sure. lunch and that Those programs actually frequently carry over into the summer when school is out and you can still go to the school and anybody under the age of 18 could get a free lunch. That either has ended or is set to end. 
I believe in most places it has ended. I think it went on a state by state basis. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, that's what I thought. There are also school districts who, if enough households in the district qualify for free or reduced lunch, then or not in the district, but in the school, then everyone in the school automatically gets free lunch. So that's one of the ways that they've like mitigated a little bit. They could also just give every child a free lunch and free breakfast because kids deserve to eat. Yeah, especially since there have been multiple studies done that show that it turns out that kids do better on tests when they're not hungry. Yeah, a lot of these social safety nets that we're talking about, right, are about basic needs being met. It's not necessarily about like the extravagant things, which it does not mean that people don't deserve something nice because people deserve nice things sometimes. Yeah. Um, Some people have too many nice things. Some people have too many things period. So many, but. Some people have too many things, period, and too many nice things. And a lot of people don't have enough nice things in their lives and are pressured and shamed to have only the bare minimum when the reality is that we all need and deserve to not just survive, but to live and thrive. Yeah, which reminds me of two different conversations I've had on that subject. One with a family member who shall remain nameless about, you know, they can buy lobster and steak with SNAP benefits. And I said, yes, it turns (laughs) out that poor people have birthdays too, but they're not going to spend all of their money on lobster and steak because that's not cost effective and they're going to go hungry, which is exactly the opposite of the point of that program and secondly there was a story that i read i believe it was on twitter actually of a woman who had spent some time being houseless and during that time one of her prized possessions was a yankee candle it was an aspirational thing for her she Mm -hmm. didn't light it but she had it with her she could smell it when she was surrounded by terrible Mm -hmm. smells and it reminded her of the life she was throwing herself in the general direction of as she put it Mm -hmm. and it reminded her that she had a goal And that helped her keep going. Yeah. And that's like the reality is that a lot of people have like those sorts of things or have things that from the outside is like, oh, that's not a necessity. And if you took that away from someone who's not poor, they would be so if you took their cell phone away, they would not be able to function. And so like just kind of that double standard. There's there's a thing that goes around Twitter every once in a while. What is cool if you're rich and terrible if you're poor there's like a different phrasing for it what is something you take credit for if you're rich but take blame for if you're poor i I think was one of the ways i saw that phrase Mm -hmm. and one of the most common answers to that is being bilingual yes and the other common answers are like not paying taxes right yeah or receiving support from the government rich people do it all the time sure we just don't talk about it that way Well, and speaking of taxes, one of the other ways that people receive support is through income support. And many people are familiar with the concept of unemployment benefits. Of course, those differ on a state-to-state basis. And generally, there are rules like you have to have been laid off, you can't have quit, and you can't have been fired for certain causes. In order to receive unemployment benefits, you also have to have had certain types of jobs. So like, for example, clergy are not... Mm -hmm eligible for unemployment benefits that's just the one i happen to know of personally yeah if you're self-employed i think it doesn't count i think there was a time during the pandemic where like maybe you could have but for the most part yeah employment doesn't count yeah well and i can see how like you'd have to have a whole different definition of unemployment like if your own personal business blew up you'd have to have Mm -hmm. guidelines and benchmarks for how that would work because it's not like you can well, I'm sh- I'm sure you can fire yourself, and like I'm sure that people have ha- had those emotional self-esteem bust moments of doing that kind of thing. But officially speaking, I can see how you'd have to have a set a different set of guidelines for that. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, another popularly known aspect of this is social security money provided to the elderly, which of course is you're receiving money that you've already paid in, generally speaking, and mm-hmm. it's something that you've already paid for. It doesn't tend to be a lot of money. It tends to be a very small supplemental amount of money, but it has lifted so many elderly people out of poverty over the decades. Mm -hmm. And actually, technically, the way that the program works is people who are paying into Social Security now are paying to those. That money is actually going directly to those who are receiving it. Yes. And so then like when you and I retire, our social security income will actually come from people paying into social security. Yes. So there's a like sense when certain parties of the government say that they want to 
privatize Social Security. It is not consistent with the way that the program works to do that. And oddly enough, it also gives a certain amount of incentive to the current generations to build a world in which the following generations will want to and be able to have a family so that there can be another generation to continue paying into Social Security. (laughs) I hadn't thought about it like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's also Social Security for people who are disabled. This is very complicated and difficult to get. Like, it is hard to qualify for disability. There's a lot of paperwork and doctors and all of that stuff that you have to go through to get that. different. Yeah, to get that government designation. So there are a lot of people who are disabled who are not on disability, who don't receive Social Security for disability. And if you do qualify and you receive Social Security, you are not allowed to have your bank account above $2,000. Right. And if you're saving for a ten or $15,000 wheelchair, which is a pretty standard price for a decent wheelchair that people use on a daily basis, that's mm-hmm. going to be a problem. And you wind up having to trust, you know, f- friends or family members with the money. And that does not always work out well. Yep. Yeah. There are like a couple trusts that can be set up in, in complicated ways. But right. for the most part, like when I worked with adults with intellectual disabilities and there were times where like at the end of the month, they had to like buy things and they'd buy things for like the apartment that they shared with other people or they'd like prepay their gravestone or something, right? To spend that down because if if all of a sudden you're above $2,000 and then you don't qualify for the supports anymore, that's taking you off of medical support. That's taking you off of financial support. Like it takes you off of everything, which is way more than $2,000 a month. And the process of getting back onto those services when you've been kicked off of them is again atrocious and you have to do everyone separately and the government used to have people whose job was to help you sign up for these programs and generally speaking those people were the first ones to get their jobs cut every time taxes got cut yeah yep so that sucks also there are in some places universal basic income pilot programs des moines just voted to pass that this past summer i think a pilot program that literally is giving people money every month. This has been tried multiple times. It's completely successful. Like it helps people. It improves the economy. It does all of the things that you want it to do. The reason that it doesn't get wider support is, as we mentioned at the top, because rich people don't actually want poor people to stop being poor. Rich people want to punish people for being poor, which is a situation that rich people caused. Yeah. And continue to cause, like are causing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's why it's not spreading more right now, but that is part of what we can work towards as yeah. a collective because we have enough automation and technology to actually be able to afford to pay people just to exist. Yeah, absolutely. And these systems of helping those in need may also sound familiar to you if you're familiar with how they are structured in the Bible. In the Bible, there's the concept of giving alms, A-L-M-S, which is basically giving to charity, giving to those in need. Frequently, that Mm -hmm. money goes to orphans or widows or very occasionally travelers. And those were groups that were well known in that time and culture as folks who simply did not have many economic options for ways to support themselves. Also mm-hmm. in the Bible, we find as far as food benefits go, there's the whole story with Ruth and Naomi and the gleanings at the edge of the fields that were left for those who were in need, which later got a little bit more streamlined to let's harvest the entire field and then separate out like 10% to give to those in need. And that way they don't actually have to go into the field themselves. So, yeah. And then jumping back into the modern world, of course, we have many and various ways that people are supported with healthcare needs. And Mm -hmm. man, if you thought signing up for food or income support was difficult and bureaucratic, you have not seen anything until you've tried to sign up for healthcare support. So there are two really common systems in America for this, Medicaid and Medicare. And a lot of people, including, let's be honest, Emily and myself, are not always entirely clear mm-hmm. on the difference between those two. We had to double check just to make <laughs> sure we were right for this episode. Medicaid is the one that is for folks who are below.
below a certain income level and has recently been somewhat expanded. And Medicare is the one for people who are over the age of 65. For Medicaid, yes. it was expanded state by state. And so not every state chose to expand it. It was right. expanded under Obamacare. Also for Medicaid, just because you get covered doesn't mean that everything is actually free. And it doesn't mean oh, no. that you get the same level of coverage as people who don't qualify for Medicaid and who pay right. out of pocket or who pay with the uh, marketplaces, the Obamacare sure. marketplaces, give subsidies. Like that's another way that this happens is if you don't qualify, they will give you discounts. And those are actually tax credits. They give you ahead of time. And then if you don't get them right, you have to like pay some of it back. Right. Because why not make this more difficult for everyone? Yep. I've been on Medicaid and I've used the marketplace to get discounts and stuff. And it's a pain, but it's also possible and super yeah. helpful when it does work. Yeah. Also, who among us is not looking forward to Medicare, even as I have heard so many people turning the age of 65 complain about the bureaucracy and the confusing paperwork and the fact that you have to talk to 14 different people in order to get it filed correctly. And then, of course, there's the welcome to Medicare mm -hmm. doctor's appointment at which you are not allowed to talk about literally anything else. But <laughs> Aside from those issues, Medicare means that your cost of health care goes down significantly after you turn 65 for the vast majority of people. And mm -hmm. it's a huge help. And gee, wouldn't it be great if everyone could, you know, have that? Yes. Medicare is tricky when it comes to like long-term care, like long-term nursing facilities. And also doesn't cover everything, everything. So there's a lot of people who will have a plan B or a plan D. They have a supplemental plan in addition to Medicare. Yeah, I guess I'm coming at this assuming that none of these programs cover everything. Like all of these programs have limits. All of these it's programs true. have things that they don't pay for or they don't help with. And so these days, even like so-called normal private health insurance, it used to be back in the like 90s that there were health insurance plans that were in my family often called Cadillac plans where you paid a higher premium and like they covered literally everything. You didn't even have to worry about co-pays. You could do anything you wanted with that program if you had that particular health insurance. Mm -hmm. And these days, even the so-called really good health insurance programs mean you're still paying for a bunch of stuff. So yeah, there are a couple, but those are usually like with Kaiser Permanente where they have an all in-house, like it's all in the house. And so, yes, you cannot go anywhere else under any circumstances. Yeah. Yep. And a good way to remember the difference between Medicaid and Medicare is that the political push is for Medicare for all, not Medicaid for all. So that's the Medicare for all is remove the age limit. Yeah. Which would be great. But speaking for things that all people get Yay. in the Bible, Jesus provides health care for literally everybody encounters. So Jesus is a great example of healthcare for all. He does not put restrictions and requirements on healing people. There are a couple times where he like asks questions. There's one time that he pushes back, but he still like, even after yeah. being a jerk, heals the Syrophoenician woman's daughter. So. And it's not like he unhealed the supposedly ungrateful nine lepers, you know, <laughs> like he didn't give them yeah. leprosy again. That's not how that worked. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And with Jesus, of course, there was no difference between where you lived and whether or not you qualified for his health care, unlike in America, where Medicaid has wildly different guidelines for signing up in different states and mm -hmm. receiving those benefits varies significantly. Yeah. And part of that is the which states have chosen to expand and which states have not. And right. part of it is also like cost of living is very different in California than it is in South Dakota. Yeah, that part actually makes sense. But but it's used in ways that are unhelpful. Right. And then, of course, one government benefit that supports those who cannot help themselves, which isn't always grouped under this type of benefit, in my experience, yeah. it doesn't usually come up in these conversations, is the foster care mm -hmm. program for those children whose parents cannot care for them. And while we all acknowledge that the foster care system is far from perfect and definitely has some really interesting state-by-state -state differences, among other mm -hmm. things, it is, generally speaking, filled with people who are actually genuinely trying to help. Sometimes they are not trying to help in the most helpful way, but they are, by golly, trying. <laughs> and we do appreciate their work. Yeah. Part of the tricky part about foster care yes. is 
that foster parents and foster families receive support, especially financial support, that they can pass along and provide for the child or children. And they are supposed to pass along to those children. Yes. And so there's, you know, the level of corruption there of people who don't. They're also desperate for more foster families right now. And so that's a part of it. But also like that support is not necessarily given to the families and the parents and caregivers of those children, right? So it's, you can't provide for this child. And so we take you and put them in a different situation and give support in a different way. It's not that simple. There's a lot of like more complex things, but it's... Whereas if the family of origin was receiving that support, maybe they wouldn't need the help. Or maybe they Mm -hmm. wouldn't need the children to be taken out of the home. Also, one of the other complicated parts of the foster care system is the way that it impacts Native American children. The Indian Child Welfare Act came into being to protect Native children from being taken away from their families and put in white families where their culture will be more or less erased from their identity. This is bad. And as we talked about in our genocide episode, that is literally a step in the process of genocide is to destroy someone's culture. Like that is a form of genocide. And so the Indian Child Welfare Act says if you are removing a child from their immediate family, then you need to place them in their community, either with extended relatives or something else as the priority. It doesn't keep it always from happening. It doesn't keep white people from adopting Native children, all of that stuff, but it is intended to support and help. It is also in the process of being gutted by the very corrupt Supreme Court that we currently have that is gutting all of the things and overturning all of the precedents because they can't. And of course, the reason we put that rule into place in the first place was because America had a history of committing exactly this type of genocide for generations. And we realized, hey, maybe we should stop doing that. And now we're not so much trying to go back. Yeah. Also, part of the treaties with native tribes historically has been that the United States government, in exchange for all of the best land and without proper enthusiastic consent, right? Like, to be clear, any treaty that happens on this land did not happen out of goodwill on all parties. Like, there was pressure, there was force, there was all sorts of things. And sometimes treaties didn't even happen, land was just stolen. But part of the treaties that did happen was, in exchange for the land, the United States government committed to providing food and health care for Native people. So the Bureau of Indian Affairs is part of the Department of the Interior, which is why it's such a big deal to have a Native woman leading that department for the first time ever. But part of that is providing food. And this is not like the food that was Native to Native people. This is X amount of flour, X amount of fat, X amount of this, sugar, X amount of that. And so that's like when native people talk about fry bread like there is a cultural thing about fry bread and also a complicated thing because it comes from the materials that the u.s government gave them without considering the plants and meat and vegetables and stuff that actually has historically been part of their diet there's pushes now to move back towards that with different programs particularly on reservations it's complicated but there's like pushes towards having like buffalo jerky or those sorts of things sure. for folks. And healthcare, the Indian healthcare system is doing the best it can with what it has and where it's at. And they don't have the resources that they need to provide adequate care. And so that's yeah. a lot of it. And there is from primarily white people, a pushback of they're getting this for free. And just a reminder, their people have been slaughtered and they have been removed forcibly from their land and they're independent nations. They're sovereign nations that also are within our borders because it's complicated and you have to do legal things. But they are sovereign nations that we have yeah. harmed. And broken the vast majority of our treaties with. Yeah. This is part of repairing the harm. It is obviously like woefully underdone. Yes. But it's part of what we should be doing and we should be doing more. Yeah. And then, of course, there is governmental support for people who need help with their utilities, which comes in a variety Mm -hmm. of forms. One is internet discounts. You should actually check it out. So this one is actually not the hardest one to apply for. 
it's tricky because you have to have low right names in the right places. But if you qualify for any of the other government programs like SNAP or Medicaid, then you will qualify. That's an automatic qualification for internet discounts. And then like you can reduce it. So that's a federal program, but also some states have a program as well. So like Maryland adds on another amount of money to that amount that the federal government gives. It's really handy, speaking entirely from experience. Yeah. Also, water. So in many big cities, you're not allowed to shut off somebody's water, and you're not allowed to shut off somebody's heat or electricity, depending on the season, those sorts of things. Doesn't mean you can't rack up a whole bunch of overdue bills and stuff, but there are programs in Baltimore. There's a program called Water for All where you can apply to have your water bill covered. And it's a pain of an application, as with all the other stuff. But in the application process, you tell them how much water it is, all of that stuff. And then they will either give it to you monthly or they'll give it to you in a lump sum. And then you can, if, for example, the city of Baltimore at one point got hacked and so nobody could pay their water bills for a year, And then all of a sudden they wanted you to pay all of your water bill for the entire year all at once. This water for all program might actually like help pay down some of that debt. Yeah. Also just forgive it at that point. Yeah, that that would be nice. Many different parts of the country have programs that can help you pay your electricity bill if you're in need. This is especially dire in places where your electricity keeps you alive in certain types of weather, such as mm-hmm. if you live in a very hot climate and you need air conditioning in order to you know, keep breathing that long. And so just being able to keep the lights on does a remarkable amount for it increasing your standard of living. And I personally am very familiar with furnace funds or heating funds that exist to help you pay your heat bills in the winter. In Minnesota, this is one of those places where they are legally not allowed to turn off your heat, but also there are Mm -hmm. a lot more furnace funds here than say in South Carolina, as you might imagine. (laughs) So, And they do very good work. And I have talked to those folks through many interesting conversations, including one unfortunate incident where a friend of mine who was going to have the money in like three weeks to get her furnace repaired, but didn't have the money to get it repaired right then. And it was the first week of January. So, you know, she didn't really have three weeks to wait. And so she wound up, if I remember correctly, receiving money from the furnace fund and then being able to donate the money she would have spent back to the furnace fund afterwards and that worked out really nicely so yeah that's awesome a terrible example of these sorts of supports is in district 12 in the hunger games where the capital supposedly i think actually provides like all of the utilities and all of this stuff for the people of district 12 and all the districts because they're so generous wait They're so generous. It just happens to be terrible quality and spotty electricity and all of those things. And the only time that the electricity is super solid is when they are playing the Hunger Games for everyone and requiring people to attend and watch, which belies the lack of care that they have. But that is a similar though distinct thing from the times when people were enslaved or people who are incarcerated today, where it's, oh, but we give you all of these things, but there's not freedom. There's not freedom of movement. There's not freedom of labor. There's not freedom to work and earn an income that you can actually spend on what you want. So Right. And choose the type of work you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. So don't be like the capital. Yeah. In the Hunger Games. I mean, for so many reasons. I mean, also like DC is not like perfect, but yeah. No, but yeah. And then finally, in terms of widely available ways that the government can help people in need. There are ways that the government can help people who are having money problems or debt problems. And of course, Mm -hmm. one of the most well-known ways that this happens is through the bankruptcy process. Now, bankruptcy in America has what are called chapters. And my understanding is that there are three very commonly known chapters. Chapter seven is an individual filing for bankruptcy. Chapter 11 is a business filing for bankruptcy, and Chapter 13 is a specific process of filing for bankruptcy and reorganizing your debt and your finances while you do it. Interesting. Interesting. 
Yeah. And bankruptcy will absolutely tank your credit score. Do not try to find yourself a new landlord while dealing with that by any means. But it will also mm -hmm. allow you to discharge some, although not all debts. Famously, student loans are almost impossibly to get rid of under bankruptcy. I heard once a few years ago that there were literally less than two dozen cases of people successfully getting rid of student loans under bankruptcy. And that was just like three or four years ago. So I'm guessing it's not a heck of a lot more people by now, but student yep. loans are specifically designed for that. But you will be able to get your general debt into a better place, but also your credit score will be tanked for about five to seven years while the bankruptcy slowly works its way off your credit report. But still for mm -hmm. many people, this is often the best choice they have and yeah. it can get you out of a hole. So yes. Also credit scores were developed under, can anyone guess which administration? Ooh, ooh, is it President Reagan? Yes, indeed it was. I'm shocked. Wait, no. Yep. <laughs> A lot of things changed about rent and security deposits and paying rent at the beginning instead of the end of the month and credit scores. They were specifically developed as part of Reagan's plan to re-impoverish everybody. I mean, to be fair, let's be honest, it wasn't just President Reagan. President Reagan had people who he listened to and who listened to him. And mm -hmm. like, there was a whole ongoing structure. And like, President Reagan was the face of the administration. We're not saying he was the mastermind. <laughs> he was a big part of the plans, but like also hey. in terms of the people who truly understood how the financial processes worked, probably other people understood it better than he did. Yes. So. He probably was all for the idea and then yes. everybody else actually other people figure figured out the details. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. There's also some other forms of debt forgiveness. So recently in the news, President Biden has promised to forgive student loan debt up to ten or twenty thousand dollars, depending on the person, as well as the public service loan forgiveness program, PSLF, which if you work in a public service thing for 10 years, then you can get it forgiven. That deadline has now passed. So if you haven't done it then, good luck. Sorry. And then also there's places that do medical debt forgiveness that buy up medical debt that has gone to collections for pennies on the dollar and then just forgive it. There have been several churches who have partnered with those sorts of programs to do that. It's not necessarily a government thing, though many, if not most, hospitals and medical systems, especially hospitals, will have financial aid available. But yeah. you have to know that and you have to apply for it and all of the complexities that that, that entails. But I've done it and I've gotten an emergency room visit forgiven, sure. recovered. So. It's possible. But yeah, will the hospital like volunteer that information? They're actually required to, but in the emergency department, they say, do you want information on? But that while you're in the emergency department, probably before you've seen a doctor, while you're registering and giving them like your medical insurance and all of that stuff. So it's really easy for it to get lost. And people are yeah. like, what? No, I don't. I just want to see the doctor because I'm too much paperwork. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, there is a biblical precedent for debt forgiveness, which is the year of Jubilee, which it is unclear if that is something that happened historically every 50 years, if that actually right. like happened, partly because the ancient Israelites didn't actually like have control of their own people for very much time. And so frequently yeah, got no. shipped off and all of that stuff. The precedent is there. And the idea is there. And the idea is that in order to keep economic systems from running away with themselves, like our capitalism has every sure. 50 years, there's a reset. Land goes back to people, people who've been enslaved are freed, all of that stuff. So yeah. Debt forgiveness. It's biblical. It's a lovely concept, but it's also an interesting way to remind ourselves that, man, if we think records are difficult to keep and hang on to and keep in reasonable order now, thousands of years ago, oh my goodness, so much worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so all of this is stuff that is available for people who are citizens in this country. Yes. There are also some of these are available to other people. When we think about particularly refugees and asylum seekers, they have some access to this. They are technically in deportation proceedings once they are labeled as an asylum seeker. Yeah. 
So it's complicated, but they do have access to that. And there are a lot of refugee resettlement programs and organizations. One of the biggest ones that particularly for Kay and I is the Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Services, which is based Yay. in Baltimore. They do a lot of stuff. That's tricky because some stuff is grant funded and some stuff is loans that you like low or no interest loans, but loans that then get paid back by refugees and asylum seekers. But there are also people and congregations and communities of faith that sponsor asylum seekers to get them out of detention because in the last decade, we've been incarcerating a lot more people, a lot more immigrants in detention centers, which is part of the for-profit prison industry and is terrible. And like when people are initially fleeing, there's refugee camps that get set up that have a lot of supports and stuff, but they're also like really on the fly and don't have the like infrastructure and those sorts of things. So organizations like Doctors and Nurses Without Borders help those and Lutheran Disaster Response and Lutheran World Relief and stuff, but it's complicated. And there are people who are in this country who are neither citizens nor refugees or asylum seekers. They can qualify for some stuff, but not everything. They frequently can qualify for financial aid from a hospital, but might not qualify for Medicaid or Medicare. Women, infants, and children, they can qualify for, but they might not qualify for SNAP benefits. Those sorts of things. I'm not positive on if they qualify for SNAP or not, but I know that people who have applied for WIC when they've been pregnant. So there's those complications that have happened, especially under the previous president who then decided, oh, if you are utilizing any of these benefits or entitlement programs, that is going to be a mark against you in the immigration process and the citizenship process. And that is really problematic and I believe has been overturned, but also the goal of it was to scare people. And so that in that respect, it has been largely effective and problematic. And all of this, of course, goes against the very biblical concepts of caring for the stranger and caring for the foreigner among you. Whether you're talking about Abraham getting up and running to take food to the travelers who came upon his tent one day that he did not expect and they turned Mm -hmm. out to be angels, or whether you're talking about the general biblical concept of hospitality and welcoming people and feeding people and, you know, not asking questions until later, if at all. All of those concepts are absolutely literally baked into the biblical worldview and in whatever sense you prefer to think of it as whether you're thinking of it like you know cookies or like a hot dish or whatever type of baking you happen to prefer some people are Mm -hmm. sweet some people are savory that all works but the caring for the stranger and foreigner among you that is not an optional thing in the bible it's not something you choose to do it's something that you do as a way of showing god that you're grateful for what you have been given Mm-hmm. And it is not something that you do for brownie points. It is something that you do because you're a reasonably decent human being. <laughs> yep. And it's a baseline expectation. It's not a extra special gold star level of dedication kind of thing. And when we think of it that way, all of this gets seen in a very different light. It's true. Also, in addition to government systems and supports, which had their funding cut multiple times over, mutual aid networks, especially during the pandemic, actually got like pretty significant boosts. And those have historically been in existence for things like bail funds to help bail people out of jail, but also have expanded a lot. And also abortion funds have been around for a long time to help people access abortion, but also has expanded for rent relief for folks if they need help covering rent for folks with immigration procedure, whether it's DACA renewals or if someone has been detained and they were the primary breadwinner, like those sorts of things, as well as community fridges. So keeping community fridges stocked, there's just a lot of different mutual aid groups that have come about in really beautiful ways. Also, shout out to libraries. They are in fact funded by taxes, which many of you shouted out libraries as the things that you are most excited about your taxes going to pay for. But libraries often help people access all of these services and supports, as well as serving as warming or cooling centers during extreme weather a lot of the time. And so they, there are some libraries that have even like hired their own social workers because 
they know that that is an important thing because libraries are basically the only place that people can exist without having to pay money right now. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah, and libraries have been around since like forever, like the Great Library of Alexandria, which also Yay. provides a great help to Laia in Ember in the Ashes before it gets <laughs> burned to a crisp. And most librarians especially the ones that Kay and I know, but most librarians are actually pretty awesome, unlike Madame Pince, but she probably just takes after the author. And I've read a couple yeah. fan fictions where she turns out to have some interesting personal qualities. So that concept exists. Yes. Yeah, yes. but if you want fictional concepts of awesome librarians, I highly suggest Magdalena Brooks of the Library of the Stars in the October Day series. She is a very kick-button, take-names kind of person and yeah. does a wonderful job of helping people find the information they need in a peaceful setting or close to peaceful, as close as you're going to get nice. under those circumstances. Yeah. I'm sure that River Song also could help people now that she's been archived. Yes, yes, absolutely. And while sort of, but not technically a librarian, I was also reminded of Archive or Ar Archivey in the Harry Dresden books, who is a little girl who is the personification of knowledge and knows pretty much anything that you could find out by asking a question, like any actual fact. And hmm. she has a, a very interesting personality. So. Nice. Our first reading for this episode is Malachi chapter 4 verses 1 through 2a. That's right, folks. <laughs> One and a half verses. And still, we manage to find things. The prophet promises that those who do evil will be burned up, but those who revere God will rise up. So one of the themes in this one and a half verses <laughs> is the sun. The burning up yes. is the sun. I just watched Sunshine for our Horror Nerds at Church episode, which will come out this Thursday, the 10th of November. And Sunshine is a fantastic movie. It's mostly spacey and a little bit of horror, but that's what this entire passage is going to be that. So shout out to Horror Nerds at Church. You should definitely check out the episode if any of this intrigues you. But the sun is both dangerous because, you know, it can burn you up alive and life. Like it is a necessary component to life to have enough warmth from the sun or a star to live. And therefore we have both possible aspects of the complications of walking on sunshine. <laughs> Indeed. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The characters, as we will see in my examples from sunshine, definitely. They kind of sound like the walking examples of it's complicated, but yeah. yeah. So in verse one, we read, see the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Actually, I was going to say something else first, but first I would like to point out that when they say that the arrogant and the evildoers will be stubble, we are not talking about Viggo Mortensen's face. We are talking about stubble in the fields. We are talking about <laughs> destruction, not, you know, general gorgeousness in the Aragorn. Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah. I and... like that you think that's gorgeous because I'm just like, no, thank you. No, thank you. I, I do I mean, not need facial hair at what... all kind of day i'm having yeah i'm not usually a facial hair person myself but there are the occasional guys that it really suits but my original thought for this verse was after talking about all of those government benefits and now thinking about arrogant and evildoers that leads me to think about someone who would silence disability it's an activists in favor of giving a larger platform to nazis a person who would fire an entire team dedicated to accessibility or who would take away the legal protections provided for those fighting for human rights at risk of their lives. And I just want to remind our listeners that the destruction of Twitter is not just a wacky, fun internet story. Although to be fair, there are wacky, fun aspects of it. <laughs> like I'm going to be honest, some of it is pretty interesting, but it is also going to destroy a lot of ways that people in need have been getting help for the last couple of decades. And that is a serious problem. Gotcha. Yes. Agreed. Although in the second half of verse one, as we read, the prophet says, the day that comes shall burn them up, says the God of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. And this reminded me of the scene in Sunshine, where on Icarus 2, which is a spaceship for most of the movie, there's a problem with the shields and they're really close to the sun because they're trying to jumpstart the sun, basically. And something sparks in the place where they're like, 
doing all of the oxygen production, which is to say where all the plant life is. And there's a massive fire that breaks out and destroys all the plants. And they're talking about like trying to contain it. And they actually like have to flood the oxygen and just get rid of everything in order to contain it. But it definitely like left them with neither root nor branch. Eventually they found a teeny tiny sprout, but that's sure. it. So that was on the Icarus too. That's the name sure. of the ship. And then in verse 2a, we read, But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise. And this reminded me of one of the messages that Kappa, one of the characters, sends back right before they lose all contact. Sends back what his sister and her kids sure. is, If the day comes that the sun shines a little bit brighter, you will know that we have succeeded, right? Because he's so far away and they can't communicate regularly and he has to send it and then they're not going to be able to get the return message. So he just like informs her. And there's this like beautiful, the imagery of that. And then like, as it's portrayed in the movie, when the sun shines brighter that day that they succeeded. And it's beautiful. Yeah, it's really, it's really cool. That's definitely a spoiler, but the movie is fantastic and I will watch it multiple more times for sure. Cool. Yeah, I oddly enough read exactly that same half of that same verse because, you know, it was the <laughs> only other option available. Speaking of great Sundays to like help introduce someone new to reading the scripture for your congregation that hasn't tried this before, if you just want to have someone try one reading, this might be a decent choice. There's no really complicated words in there. Yeah. Yeah. No complicated words and one and a half verses. Quite short. Yeah. But reading verse 2a, which says, but for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Well, of course, healing your wings is important when you fly close to the sun. Right, Icarus? Mm -hmm. For the classic reference of Icarus flying too close to the sun and melting his very techie wings Mm -hmm. because they were made out of wax partially and his mentor Daedalus was not able to keep him from doing so. Yeah, which we talk about in the Horror Nerds at Church episode on Sunshine because both of the ships are Icarus 1 and Icarus 2, which is a whole fascinating thing. Why you would call? Yeah, yeah, that's inviting the self-fulfilling prophecy you don't want. Or possibly like just trying to work against superstition. Kind of like how the Catholic Church in 2006 tried to encourage people to name children born on 666, June 6, 2006, Damien in order to reduce superstition. Oh, I have a vague I memory of that. Hear about that. It wasn't like huh. super publicized or anything, but like that was apparently a conversation in the Catholic Church just because they are very big on don't pay any attention to superstition. And I thought that was an interesting approach. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It is fascinating how Icarus, like the kind of the mythology around Icarus comes out in the movie. Sure. And then our second reading for this episode is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. The author reminds the readers that while Jesus is going to return, that doesn't mean they can just sit idly and wait. Life goes on, and treating others fairly still matters. Mm-hmm. So one of the themes in this passage is the idea of contributing to community, that it takes everybody in the community to contribute. And a great example of that is in Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. Again, there's a Horror Nerds at Church episode about this. (laughs) (laughs) Funny how these two podcasts seem to overlap so much. Weird. It's almost like they share three words in their title. (laughs) And so, anyway, in Dream Warriors, each person has a different, like, gift in Dreamland that, like, they get. One person can pull people into dreams, other stuff like that. And none of their gifts work against Freddy alone. It's only when they combine their gifts that they're able to, like, take on Freddy and destroy him. Aww. Temper, but yeah. And then in verse 10, we read, For even when we were with you, we gave you this command. Anyone unwilling to work should not eat. So some clarification here. This is unwilling to work, not unable to work, and also not work as earning income, right? Right. So work looks like a lot of different things. Don't erase invisible and or emotional labor. See, for reference, our episode with Reverend Nick Peñaranda on the sixth Sunday after Pentecost for more on that. So this is not about 
people who rely on the social supports that we just talked about. Right. For more... Well, yeah, and speaking of, in verse 11, the next verse, we read, For we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. So please remember that the only people able to not work and be idle in this time and culture would be, you know, the rich. If Mm -hmm. you're not sure who the Bible is rebuking at any given time, ask yourself, hmm, could the Bible currently be angry at the rich somehow in this passage? And you'll be right often enough. When in doubt, just think of every rich person in the Bible as Lex Luthor, and you will (laughs) almost certainly be getting the general feel of things correct. Yeah. Idleness, extravagance, modesty, all of those things geared towards rich people showing off their wealth. Right. Don't be like the biblical rich. And in verse 12, we read, Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Again, talking about rich people not coasting and relying on other people's work to sustain themselves. So maybe don't buy an entire social media web thing and then brag about charging $8 for a blue check. (laughs) Or... Maybe also don't try to, like, make a deal with a famous author on the website of arguing yourself down from $20 to $8 for a blue check. (laughs) Also, maybe don't make absurd rules that give the people who are cleaning your bathroom UTIs. Yeah, no, absolutely. Or indeed, people who are working for you in general UTIs, like... When in doubt, just let people use the bathroom. It's not rocket science. Again, it's more accessible. Yeah. So, you know, not that we have like specific Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos people in mind. (laughs) Of course not. And then finally, in verse 13, we read, siblings, do not be weary in doing what is right. So I'm actually going to reference our All Saints episode a couple of times in this episode. And this is the first time because it's always interesting how one set of readings can relate to another. But in the All Saints episode, I mentioned the video game The Forgotten City, which is not super well known, but I discovered several months ago and found interesting. And this verse reminded me of my favorite joke in the game. The people of the city in the game are basically depending on each other to do what is right the entire time because if any of them do certain bad things make certain bad choices they will all collectively get punished for it for reasons that make more sense when you play and at one point one of the characters comments to you that this is incredibly stressful for all of them because they all know that they're depending on each other and they don't necessarily all like or trust each other that much Mm -hmm. and of course you the newcomer probably can't even imagine the stress of what that's like and one of the options that you have to respond to that comment is actually i lived through a pandemic so Oh my gosh, that's terrible. (laughs) That was fantastic because the game actually came out during the pandemic and clearly they had added that in as a recognition of what was going on. It was beautiful. I loved it. That's brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) And and the other character immediately agrees with you. Oh yeah, I can see how that would. Okay. Yep. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That makes me want to play the game. Just that. Yep. Our gospel reading for this episode is Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 19. Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple and the deaths of the apostles, and also proclaims that they will endure forever. So one of the themes in this passage is the idea of apocalyptic things. What Jesus says is frequently taken as like, these are signs of the apocalypse and the end times. Really, this is just like part prediction of human nature, because past behavior as indicator of future behavior. And, you know, people have lived through multiple wars and insurrections and things. And so, like, similar to how people thought that World War I was, quote-unquote, the Great War. The war to end all wars. It was not. It was just another war. But also, a Lakota Anglican priest told us once in seminary, I took a class on the spirituality of Lakota Christian dialogue, and we went to Pine Ridge and Rosebud Reservations and talked with an Anglican priest there who is Lakota. And he talked about how people say that humans have become more civilized, but the reality is that we're not getting more civilized. We are getting more civilized ways of killing people. So we're able to do more damage at a greater distance, which is what drones are. Drones are like the epitome of that in really harmful and dehumanizing ways. Yeah. And then in verse 5, we read, When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, 
and I'm not entirely sure that this concept works, but many of you may be familiar with the concept of Chekhov's gun in storytelling, which is to say, if there's a gun on the mantle in the first act, then it has to go off by the third act, is the old rule. And mm. I read this first, and I find myself asking, is the temple in the Bible the Chekhov's building of the Bible? Like, Ooh. it's already been torn down and rebuilt once, and it's going to be rebuilt again at the end of time, and it just mm. seems like the temple exists to be mentioned and then have stuff happens to it i like sometimes good <laughs> stuff sometimes bad stuff but if the temple shows up something major is going to happen in a very short order <laughs> you know yeah. i i don't know that that quite works but it feels it feels fitting throughout yeah. scripture because it's not that much longer after this that it gets torn down again yeah and you have the example from the hebrew scriptures of it happening but then also history yeah 70 years late 60 60 70 years later yeah and then i looked at verse six where jesus says as for these things that you see the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another all will be thrown down which like okay but i mean that happens to literally everything even the great notre dame cathedral in france Everything yeah. becomes rubble eventually. That's what ruins are. Leftover yeah. built that have become destroyed. So, like, kudos, Jesus, but not that impressive of a prediction. Well, yeah. Uh, we have I a... Mean, a little different. I get it. Yeah. A little more but... historical record than Jesus did. Although, to be fair, Jesus had plenty of history behind him, too. But still, yeah. yeah. And then in verses 12 and 13, we read of people arresting you and persecuting you and handing you over. And Jesus says, this will give you an opportunity to testify. So they're talking about being handed over to their own communities of faith and to the empire and those who are in charge of the empire. And this actually reminded me of Reverend Bradley Schmeling, who before the ELCA big Lutheran churches. Policy on ordination of queer people changed in 2009. There was a huge trial of Bradley Schmeling and his congregation supported him and wanted to continue to have yeah. him as their pastor and all of that stuff. And so there was this big public trial and it was an opportunity to testify and the ELCA did not come out of it looking good at all because... yeah. Yeah, D don't do Not that. Not really a surprise. Yeah, institutions are complicated. And mm -hmm. then finally, in verse 19, we read, By your endurance you will gain your souls. And again, referencing our All Saints episode, I was reminded by this verse of something that my Episcopalian colleague in the neighborhood brought up recently, which is that the defining characteristic of saintliness, and when I'm using the word saintliness, I'm not talking about all Christians are saints kind of saintliness. I'm talking about the mm -hmm. some Christians are especially good examples of being Christian kind of saintliness. But the defining mm -hmm. characteristic of saintliness is endurance, not righteousness, mm -hmm. not theological understanding, not you know, saying certain prayers or doing certain rituals, but endurance. And endurance is something we can all reach for. And I appreciated that. Yeah. Endurance. Not to be confused with survival. Not the same thing. Right. Or your constitution score in D&D. &D. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. So now it's time for our most fun segment. Let's make a Muppets musical. Emily, did you have any ideas for Muppets or token humans to bring up regarding our readings for this week? Well, real quick side note, we had trivia night last night and one of the questions was Sesame Street and I got it right that Oscar the Grouch in the first season was orange, not green. Then they changed him to green. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I got it right. And I was like confident. So we wagered a lot on that one because I was like, Sesame Street. Nice. I got this. I got this. I'm just going to recast Sunshine as Muppet. <laughs> but can you imagine a giant Muppet sun? Well, actually, I'm imagining Muppets like working on the sun in close proximity to the sun. And now I'm imagining like the absolute giganticness of the sunglasses they'd be wearing. <laughs> because you know they would. Like very 1980 style, lots of rhinestones. That's fantastic. It would be amazing. Yeah. Who are yeah. you thinking about? Well, I was thinking about the destruction of the temple, and I, you know, if the Muppets are going to do the destruction of the temple, I think it's going to be a little wackier than it was in history, and mm -hmm. I think they're going to have a little more fun with it, and I think Animal would be having a very good time. 
Uh, And also like there are a bunch of vaguely monsterish Muppets that might be helping. And I think that if part of the temple was made out of cookies for, you know, whatever necessary reason, Cookie Monster could, of course, also help in the destruction of the temple. I love Cookie Monster and I love this concept. Yes. It'd be like gingerbread house temple destruction. Oh, I love that. Yes, absolutely. Well, yeah, without necessarily, you know, having a witch eat children, but not we don't Hansel need that and Gretel. Just, the... just gingerbread oh, yes. house. Okay. Yeah. Yes, sure. Indeed, that would be fantastic. Sure. <laughs> Sometimes I think that our listeners would benefit greatly from having a visual of my face. Like they're missing out <laughs> just a little bit because sometimes my face is just like icing on the. One cake. of these days, we're going to have to cast ourselves as Muppets. <gasps> because I think several of your facial expressions would be excellent with Muppets. But That is true. Well, anyway, thanks for joining us, our dear listeners. Catch us next time when we'll discuss nerdery connections to the scripture readings for Reign of Christ Sunday, also known as the last Sunday in the church calendar. This podcast has been produced by us, Emily Ewing and Kay Roloff. For more fun, check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Nerds at Church or contact us at nerdsatchurch at gmail.com. Also, if you like what you've heard, rate us or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you want access to our uncut guest episodes and interviews, live Q&As, and more, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdsatchurch. It's cheaper than ripping down a very ancient biblical temple and then building it back up again. It's true. Even if you use gingerbread, it's still cheaper. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Especially good gingerbread. Good gingerbread is expensive. And disgusting because ginger is gross. Aw. Send us the hate mail, ginger lovers. (laughs) Also, let us know on Facebook or Twitter who you would cast for Let's Make a Muppets Musical for this episode. Or for Sunshine. As the ancient Christians said. Pox Pox for for Biscom. Biscom.